Podcast One. Hey everyone, and just a quick warning about this episode. It may contain some strong language and material of a sensitive nature, like discussions around mental health, sex, and suicide. If any of these topics are distressing to you, or if you know someone who might need some help, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome back to Listenable. It's been a little wait since we released the first six episodes, but we are right back into it with some incredible guests coming up. Yeah, we are, and the response has been incredible, um, oh. not just from the people with a disability in our community, but also, uh, I guess, by the everybody community, which has been pretty humbling because that's why we did this, Angus. Um, we became mates and you didn't know much about disability. We became really good mates and you're like, wow, we need to share some of these stories of profiling people with disability in a normal way in a humorous way, in an emotional way, um, and trying, I guess, to get a bit of that social change. And to be top 20 training podcasts yeah, when we launched is hectic. Um, and thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed, who has rated, who has given it a five-star. Apparently, by giving us a five-star or a four-star, give us whatever review you a want. A one-star, preferably not. Probably not. Um, you actually bring us up into other people's news feeds and podcasts, and maybe some people who don't know about Listenable are going to get to learn about the disabled community. Yeah, and they'll, they'll definitely know after our guest today because... I get told I might be a bit of a disability advocate sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But I am well down the ranks compared to the heavyweight that we have coming in the studio today because the work that she has done, when I was growing up, you know, I didn't know many people with disabilities, but this is a name that I knew. And when we launched this podcast, Gus, wasn't I? I was like, their story is incredible, but also just a really impressive person who's doing some really cool stuff. So let's let that person introduce themselves. I'm Carly Finlay. I'm a writer, speaker, appearance activist, sometimes performer. And today I just found out I can use my disability parking permit and not have to buy a ticket. So hang on, hang on. Before we get into this, all right, you just came in and told me that. I'm like, Carly, that's the biggest life hack I've known since I was four years old because my parents are like, we don't need tickets. We don't need tickets. So you get, when you have a disability parking permit, even if you're not in the disabled spot, you get free tickets and you get double time in some states or... Unlimited time in others, Angus. Wow, mm. impressive. So I never use my parking permit unless it's really hot or I'm sore and then I will park in a designated space. But today, because of the end of the world yeah. pandemic, uh, I had to drive in instead of getting public transport and I used my parking permit in a regular spot and I didn't have to buy a ticket. Life Who act. told you? that the, the ticket inspector? No, I looked on the machine. Oh, you just didn't know? Didn't know. I can't get over that. Now, Carly, from my Dylan and myself, we would yeah. like to start off by saying hello. Ah, yes, that's appropriate. Now, can you tell us why that's an appropriate start to I this? wrote a book called Say Hello. You did. What is the concept behind that? Obviously, it's an autobiography, but what's the concept yeah. behind the title? Yeah, uh, I get asked a lot about my appearance and people just launch into it or tell me what I look like. Like, you look sunburned or what happened to you? And my call to action is to say hello. So when I was doing my book proposal... My agent um, suggested the title, Say Hello, because I was writing so much about how I just don't get treated in the same way as someone else, as a non-disabled person, when people see me. Now, what is your <laughs> disability for people who don't? Yeah, I, I have a rare severe skin condition called ichthyosis, and I was born with it, and yeah, there's no cure. There's like about maybe 25 different types of ichthyosis, ranging from very mild, it's often hideable to very severe. And mine is on the very severe end. And for me, it means that my skin is red and scaly and sore a lot of the time. It's quite sore today. And I'm itchy a lot. 
Um, but socially, it's harder. Like to manage the condition, you know, it's just it's just what I'm used to. But socially, it's a bit shit. Mm. Yeah. Now you call yourself an appearance advocate. You are mm-hmm. that, and uh, since being in the disabled space as someone mm-hmm. who is able-bodied, mm-hmm. uh, I've obviously come across your face Instagram. And now it wasn't <laughs> through Listenable; it was through my best friend Ash London. Oh yeah, who posted Ash is up great. a photo of you saying yeah. what a champion you are. Was that your best friend Ash London or one of your best friends? One of my best friends. Thank you. Of course, still is very protective. Sorry, still is very protective. Ranking, yeah. But that's how I came across <laughs> you, and I clicked on your Instagram page, yeah. and I had to scroll through. And appearance advocate is exactly what you are because you share the stories of people internationally and here in Australia who mm-hmm. have the same condition. Mm-hmm. And your voice is so important to these parents of young children who have no idea what to expect in the mm-hmm. future. And so just before we get into this, mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And we hope that this podcast allows people who don't know who the incredible OAM Carly Finley oh, yeah. is. Oh, well, actually, oh, we are both OAMs. There's only one person in here without an OAM. Oh, sorry. Yeah. We could okay. nominate you. I feel like this is one of those secret societies, <laughs> like the stonecutters. Like, you got your own little, like, oh. necklaces that open up secret doors. Oh, yeah. Like the Menza Society yeah. or Scientology. Something. Good. Just a huge thank you as we get into this and learn more about thank your you. story. My OAM ceremony got cancelled. Because of the coronavirus. Yeah. But it'll happen. Let's start it with the coronavirus, I think, yeah. for sure. It's something we've yeah. already referenced twice in the first couple of minutes of this podcast. Yeah, yeah how's it having an effect on your life? Um, I am working from home because I have a compromised immune system. So, um, so the immunocompromised is the word I'm hearing a lot. Mm. So for people with disabilities with lower immune systems, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't usually get a cold or the flu. Our workers instructed us to work from home. All of my speeches have been cancelled. Like, Same. I've lost such a lot of money. Yeah. I'm pretty sore as well. Like, I think from the stress, my hands and skin get, you know, my hands especially are sore at the moment, but my skin gets sore from stress. And I think it's like not knowing when my next, you know, I'm not going to be destitute. That's fine. I acknowledge my privilege, but certainly a lot of money's been yeah. um, lost. I think. Carly and I are sick of hearing the rhetoric that it's just the common colds. It might mm. be the common cold for 95% of people, but mm. for our community, a, a portion of our community could be fatal. Yeah, so I think absolutely. we need to change that. And that's why we're doing all these measures to look yeah. after each other. I'm not being preachy. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is what it is. Of course. Because so, we will lose friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other things was, so I talk a lot about how I get asked to work for free. Right, and a lot of it is from disabled organisations, mm. which is really disappointing. <laughs> this is quite funny and annoying at the same time. Um, I got asked to do a conference around disability, and they said there's no budget, so I was pleading via my publisher to, you know, pay me. She said, "Oh, good news, they've agreed to pay you. Bad news, it's been cancelled." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course they have. <laughs> now, fiscally, uh, everyone's going to be doing it very tough. And once again, we yeah. acknowledge our privilege as well to be in the positions that mm. we are. Mm. Um, what about uh, physically? Uh, the coronavirus is incredibly scary. What about emotionally, spiritually, oh, yeah. mentally? How are you going to suffer, especially with isolation, yeah, forthcoming I'm isolation? Pretty lonely. I'm like an introverted extrovert. I mm. really like being around people, but I like my own space. I'm an only child. And when my husband wanted to move in with me when we got engaged, I'm like, can you spend one night at your parents? Because I, I can't <laughs> I can't deal with the full week of living with someone. Yeah. Anyway, he didn't. He didn't. Um, but, yeah, I, I've been working at home all this week. And in my freelancing, I do work at home, but it involves so much speaking and meeting people and yeah. traveling. I see people all the time. 
And I think people are getting told to self-isolate the vulnerable, but that doesn't mean you can't FaceTime, Skype, get yeah, in yeah. touch for a lot of people with disabilities. They are feeling lonely. Mm. So Everyone says check on the elderly and, and yeah, whatnot, but I think there's so many. Yeah, a so friend many... of mine said that, um, who's deafblind, said that she's really finding it hard to interact and, you know, that really missing that human connection yeah. because not able to pick up on things. and Exactly. One thing that I really respect about you and mm-hmm. I think it might be reciprocated is you are really proud of the person that you are yeah, and you. proud of your disability. And I know yeah. from my personal journey, I certainly wasn't always proud. Mm. I'd love to go back to when you were a little kid mm-hmm. and talk about what it was like growing up and a bit about that journey to finding yourself where you currently are, which mm. is a really proud person of Yeah, I, I mean, Stella Young had a, Stella Young was an amazing disability activist and again, just shows the fragility of disabled lives, died very suddenly in 2014. She had a tattoo on her arm saying, you get proud by practicing. And that's from a poem by Laura Hershey. Laura was a disability activist as well. And she wrote this great poem called, you get proud by practicing. And for disabled people, we're constantly told we're not worthy, we're not lovable, Mm -hmm. we're not employable. People don't want to look at us or too scared to interact with us. And so it takes a long time to shake that internalised shame. And so when I was a kid, I didn't see anyone disabled. I only saw like people like Dylan on the, on the news, Paralympians occasionally. And I hate sport. Sorry. Mm. You know, and so it it just didn't relate to me. I know that when I was growing up, I tell that you're either talking about your disability on a current affair. Yeah. Or you're a Paralympian. There's yeah, exactly. nothing in between. And that would suck. And the current affair stories were always tragic. Always. You know, always tragic and always about how parents couldn't deal with their kids and had to Have send them shame away or somewhere. grief or whatever. Yeah. 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 And so my parents were very were very strict with me. Um, they would give me five dollars a week pocket money for years <laughs> um, until I was about fifteen. And when I st- then I got twenty dollars a week. But when I started working, Mum said, "Oh, you've got to pay board. It's the Australian way." And she said, "I want twenty dollars a week board." And I said, "Well, I'm only earning twenty three dollars a week at Kmart, Mum. <laughs> like then I'd get three dollars a week in my pocket." Um, so they they never put me out there in terms of media. You know, a lot of parents now I see put their children out. You know, it's very exploitative mm-hmm. when they don't have a say and don't have a say certainly about how people respond in the comments on social media. So I never saw anyone like me until I was about, probably about 15. Didn't meet anyone with ichthyosis until I was about 15. Then when I found the internet, you know, probably around 16, 17, I met lots of people online and that changed my life. Like not only looking up Savage Garden when I was... Like a chicka-cherry collar. Yeah, like a chicka-cherry collar <laughs> when I was sneakily in the library, but my librarian said, have a, have a look up people uh, with ichthyosis. I found them online. Yeah. Good. Amazing to reach out to those communities, especially because you yeah. grew up in rural yeah. Australia, right? Yeah, Victoria? New South Wales. New South Wales. Yeah, on the border. How yeah, was right. the response from other kids growing um, up and at school and things? Mm, yeah, a bit shit. Just, it was so white. My So my mum's black and we were the own, only kind of mixed race family in town for years, 10 years, I'd say. And people would whisper like, your mum's black. Like I wouldn't know. Mm. <laughs> and then they'd say, and you're red. And then, cause that was very religious in that town. Um, and they'd say that I'm red because my parents have sinned because my parents are black and white. And, um, uh, yeah, it was. And this is not that <laughs> long ago. No, no. We're not talking in the 1930s. Like, yeah, yeah, it was like full apartheid, 80s, right? 90s. Yeah, well, they came to Australia because of that. Yeah. yeah they couldn't get married. In and your dad's an Englishman. He, my dad's an Englishman. 80s, yeah. 90s. That's not yeah. that long ago that yeah. people still saying things like that. I know. And so, yeah, it was just, and I found like, because I didn't have many friends, I didn't know how to be a good friend. So I wasn't a nice person either, you know, like I couldn't maintain friendships because I just didn't know how to because mm. there was everyone would let me down like they wouldn't come to my parties or wouldn't invite me to theirs uh, not past the age of six anyway you know being someone of mixed race mm. but physically not being able to kind of 
show the ethnicity that mm-hmm. your mother has. Mm-hmm. Did you find it hard to reach out to those communities to try and find a bit more about your heritage but um, be kind of pushed back because people didn't understand? So I just got to say that's a yeah. great question. Yeah, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that question That's a before. great question. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, from a white man too. It's <laughs> <laughs> the dumb white able-bodied man. <laughs> no. So my mum would, um, she has a lot of South African friends that have moved to Australia. So they, when I went to Melbourne and Sydney to mostly to hospital, I would, we would stay with them. And so I was in touch with those friends and some of their kids were my age. So we did have that, but I always I, like recognize myself as a white Australian because on my, I mean, you probably can't see it now, but my arms are quite pale. And mm. so if I wasn't red, I imagined I'd be white. But when kids would ask me if I wasn't red, would I be black or white? And I'd always sort of say white when they'd say white and we'd never acknowledge it as brown because I thought, and they thought that that was the wrong colour to be. And it's only in the real recent years that I've sort of claimed that part of my identity. I don't look like my parents. People with ichthyosis look very familial and so the genes make us look a lot the same. So I look more like someone with ichthyosis than I do yeah, my parents. Yeah, someone you put on, their inst- on your Instagram or whatever. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. almost related. Yeah. yeah, and so I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking about well, my husband. He's like got a Malaysian background as well and just how mixed we are. But, you know, recently like I've written for Growing African in Australia with Maxine Beniba-Clark, so I do claim that. And the other day my mum and I were at the Opera House, I was speaking there, and we did this African head wrap um, workshop, which was really fun and that really felt like it was back to the culture. So that's been nice. And I feel like I can relate to a lot of the things that my black friends say because of the ableism I face, not so much the racism because... Do you mind yeah. explaining what ableism yeah. what yeah. ableism is? Ableism is discrimination towards disabled people. Making things not accessible is ableism or not providing opportunity ableism, you know, mm. happens quite a lot in our community. Mm. Did you face a lot of that? I mean, I'm sure you still do today, as do I, but mm. especially in a rural area. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any idea where you wanted to be growing up? Yeah, I wanted to be a journalist when I grew up. And um, I went to the newspaper, bought a mail to do work experience. I did heaps of work experience at different places, the radio, the TV and border mail. And um, they've been really great supporters since, you know, since my career's taken off. But the uh, universities there didn't ever cater for that. And so I wasn't allowed to move away from home because back then, probably still now, my parents earned too much to support me, mm. you know, on, on study or whatever. Yeah. So I couldn't move away. Um, mum and dad didn't want me to because my health was pretty precarious at that time. I was in hospital one or two times a year. So didn't do that. I had to go and do this really awful degree locally. <laughs> I had to go do a business degree. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And my parents, they were very strict and I wanted to quit at one time. And they, you know, dad said, if I quit, I'd disappoint him so much. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to disappoint my dad. So I did that. I, I stuck it through and I got a government job at the end of it. And then I went to do Masters of Communication at RMIT. So I always wanted to be a journalist. I always loved writing, um, but there wasn't that opportunity. But also like I talk about that, um, you know, when I was little Dolly magazines, Model of the Year was out and stuff and people would say, oh, but you can't enter, you know, there'd be no one like you in there. You'd have to chop your skin off. Like that's what people said to me. I'd have to chop my skin off. (laughs) I remember I was lucky enough and I think you might have been as well. Growing up, I used to watch Claire Bachelor of the Year and people used to say, oh, yeah. never have someone like you in there. Mm-hmm. Were I, you? I, have I, you been? I have been. I never read. Yeah. One, well, never read Claire or cared about it. But when <laughs> I got asked, I was like 14-year-old Dylan saying, you better f- do that mm. because the people told you you couldn't do that. And yeah. it sounds silly, yeah. but it meant a lot to me yeah. because I used to look at them and go, 
No one yeah, like yeah, me, yeah. you know what I mean? You're really active on social media. Yeah. You're very colourful on social media, and I'm sure we'll get to fashion very soon. Mm-hmm. We talk about, and it's something, a question that I, I keep asking people in, in these episodes mm. because I find it really interesting where in the timeline of life people come to the point of coming out mm. as disabled on social media. Mm. At fir- I first became aware of it in one of our earlier episodes by someone trying to hide their disability. Dylan, you included not putting your wheelchair in certain yeah, profile I just had pictures. Photos of my face on yeah. um, on MySpace because I was embarrassed. I haven't had to go on the dating apps yet, <laughs> well, yet Carly. Hopefully Chantel well, doesn't dump yeah. me. Well, I hope not. <laughs> no, I'm pretty Sorry. happy. Um, <laughs> Good. When did you decide to go, I'm going to put my face yeah. and everything out? Because well, you're opening yourself up to so yeah. much ridicule. So I, I've been blogging for years since I was 19. So I was blogging for, for many, many years and I never wanted to put myself on the internet because I was really scared about what might happen. And... Um, I used to have a MySpace, which mm-hmm. was 2006. And when I realised nothing bad was happening, then, you know, I shared a few more photos uh, and then I put stuff on Facebook. And where that's a, what, I think I got Facebook in 2007 maybe. Um, uh, then in 2010, uh, I had just started this blog because it was, I was halfway through my masters and I thought I need to start a portfolio of proper writing. And I wrote a piece called When My Face Is This Sore, I Don't Want to Look in the Mirror. And I had gone to hospital and my face doesn't often get infection, but it was really infected and it, it, it's like yellow and quite pussy and stuff and it just didn't want to make me look in the mirror. I felt a real shame. Anyway, so I put this photo up and in hindsight, it's so ridiculous. I reckon I cropped it so much that you could couldn't even see, like it was just like a rectangle, <laughs> a rectangle of my eye or something. And then I, I had to go back to the hospital the next week after that and the doctor, the senior doctor was there. And then I told him how I wrote this blog and he's like, what, you put your face on the internet? I'm like, no, only a, only a rectangle mm. of it. Um, so then then I've kind of, you know, started writing more and came out. So, yeah, 10, 10 now, years of it. To, <laughs> to, to be more like more comfortable, I guess, yeah. with your skin. Yeah. Um, so like I can see on your, on your hands you don't have like any cream, but on your oh, face. Yeah, I've got cream. There, there is cream rubbed in. Do you yeah. have like, so do you have things on your face and that is it yeah. make it less painful for you easy to live so i use liquid paraffin soft white paraffin okay what's that and liquid it's just like vaseline okay. but i get it made up from the chemist because i'd find vaseline too too hard yep the dermis which you can just buy over the counter is quite expensive if you don't get it on a prescription it's like 14 dollars for a 500 tub mm-hmm. so i just get 10 kilos made up nearly every month of this in a really consi- like the consistency that I like, um, which is quite smooth. It's not too not too soft, not too hard. And that's to keep the skin wet so that it doesn't turn into a rash slash like no, skin flaking. Yeah, it keeps it moisturized yeah. and it also stops the infection. Okay, so oh. it protects as well. Yeah. I thought that. Oh, so it's like it's so, like a barrier. It goes oh, all over my body, but my face is the reddest because it's. Probably exposed to the elements more, but my arms and legs are the sorest, so yeah. it's deceptive. So yeah. similar to me, minus the legs. Oh yeah, <laughs> if Dylan has sore legs, he wouldn't know about it. Uh, I mean, very minor. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, what if you? What if you had sore skin? Would you be able to feel that? I'm sure you would. No, I, I have enough issue. Yeah, so I have enough feeling. Like if I have a pressure sore, if I yeah. sit down for too long, because you're an incomplete mm. yeah, paraplegic. Com- look at you learning, you big legend. Um, but if you've yeah. got a complete tear or break, then From you don't below, have that. you wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly yeah. Right. So people always go, oh, can I stab you in the leg trick and you feel it? I'm like, yeah, I'd feel it. And no, you can't. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Roll in some strange circles. A question I'd like to know, I want to talk mm. about a couple of events in your life. Now, these are events that I know about since learning more about you. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people listening, I'm sure you've spoken about these stories a few times, but let's imagine that people are tuning in for the first time learning about Carly. I want to start with a really great one. <laughs> In 2015, you hosted an event that didn't necessarily change your lives, but you described it as change your parents' lives. Can you talk yeah, about that? Yeah, I did the ichthyosis meet, 
which yeah. has brought brought together 75 people affected by ichthyosis. 25 of those had the condition and we all congregated in Melbourne. Were the they zoo. all in Australia or around the world? Yeah, there was um, one person came from New Zealand. So, yeah, I found fundraised for that and for some people they'd never met anyone before with the condition. It wasn't really medical. It had some doctors there on a panel talking for a little while, but mostly it was... Social elements, Social, right? yeah, socialising and also helping the kids build resilience, like how to handle a hard day at school or what, what to do when they don't feel great about themselves, about the way they look and stuff. But why was it one of the greatest days for your parents? Um, because I think that they saw what kind of example I'd set for the kids. They were proud. They were pretty proud. They are proud It was pretty, pretty exciting. It was really, yeah, it was a really lovely you day. not trying to humble brag? Sorry. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> not no, trying good. to humble brag. <laughs> you just, you can say it. They're yeah, I think that, that they were proud. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, it was really, really lovely. We met some really great people. There was a little girl there who's probably not so little anymore, but she was like <laughs> just out for a boyfriend. Like she, yeah, she was like nine and she's like, I'm here for a boyfriend. <laughs> so following on from that, yeah. you mentioned boyfriends for that little girl. What about yourself? Yeah. How did you first enter the dating game? Oh, Were you scared? I mean, it was the worst for me as well. I'd love to know <gasps> so, how you went about it the first yeah. time, you know. <laughs> I reckon I met... Oh, like just the unreciprocated love was so ridiculous. Like I'd write love letters to boys when I was little and stuff. And, you know, they were too embarrassed to, you know, take that up or too mean or whatever. (laughs) And you're married now? I am married, yeah. I met Adam online in 2013. But um, we're very different. Did you ever think you would have not been lovable growing up? Yeah, all the the time, you know, all the time. Like just that kind of, you know, when I was at uni, I'd meet guys in pubs and stuff and they'd be, you know, you'd, kiss them and then never hear from them again or, um, you know, on dating sites when I was living here in Melbourne in my 20s. That was pretty hard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I definitely did. I went on one date with this guy who told me that, like, on the date um, that he uses sex workers and whether he wants to or not, that's his prerogative. But I don't really think it's appropriate on the yeah, date. No. You know, like, it was just, I, I feel like they used all these excuses to let me down without being... Makes overtly yeah, okay. gotcha. Do you believe that you can be loved mm-hmm. if first you can't love yourself? No. Gosh, you're in with the good questions, Angus. Ah, thank you. You could be the new Hamish McDonald from oh. Q&A. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when were you able to love yourself to <laughs> yeah. then be able to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, sorry, Dylan. Um, no, no, that's why he's here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I reckon that it take that that you need to love yourself and accept yourself and be comfortable with yourself, so you can be, you know, how to love and that you can invite love into your world. I don't know when that. I think it was probably when I kind of came out as disabled or, you know, like I said before, I didn't see anyone disabled. I didn't ever use the term disabled for me because I never thought that until I was about in my mid-20s when I met all these chronically ill children at the hospital. And I realised we had all these things in common because we had all faced these same barriers even though we had different impairments. And that was probably when I started to write more about what it's like and to think more and just like develop a really good group of friends or like lots of different friends in lots of different areas and find the work that I really like doing. So yeah, I think that that, I remember in 2013, kind of my freelancing career had just taken off. I was still working at the government and I said to one of my friends, I don't have time for a boyfriend, like work's too good and I'm feeling really Mm. good. And Mm. then I had to fit Adam in somehow. Yeah. (laughs) I think part or reason that Angus and I want to do this podcast is yeah. 
we want more people to be proud of their disability, mm. as you said, because you used to shy away from it. Yeah. So did I. And the moment yep. we did, our lives changed. Um, yeah, I see it so much that yeah. people aren't proud and they're in denial. And, and it really makes it hard to change stigmas when people shy away from it because then everybody mm. else shies mm. away from it as well. What about with parents as well? Do you think uh, we've spoken about, you know, Dylan's had involvement with parents who try and push when Dylan goes, hey, mate, what's your disability? He doesn't have a disability. Yeah, I, I mentioned that the other day when I was talking um, to someone and I said how important that is, that it's so important that parents recognise their child's identity and that disability is not a bad thing. Um, I feel like we're constantly hearing parents' stories and we're not hearing enough of disabled people's stories and I'm bloody sick of it. Um, That's why we have disabled. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel parents are often in denial, like, oh, we don't see our child's disability or they use euphemisms like special needs, differently abled, additional needs, etc. And it just runs Oh, the gr- the there's, there's, there's grief involved. Yeah, grief. Oh, Responsibility. Wow. It's like a big, we're a big burden. Yeah. I see parents with of kids with ichthyosis put their kids online and it's really disturbing. Today I shared a little boy, a photo of me and a little boy with ichthyosis. I met him two weeks ago. He's nine weeks old this week, I think. And his Give the mum, Instagram a shout out. My Instagram at Carly Finlay. And his mum is on the lookout for masks because everyone's stockpiled these masks for the pandemic, but he needs the masks for his um, nasal gastric tube to go in. And so it's he hasn't got sticky tape on his skin, so he needs the mask to put over his face. Anyway, so I put a call out and I said to his mum, am I able to share this photo of him? His face isn't too visible. I know that I'm not going to attract awful comments about him, but if this photo was on the Daily Mail website, the comments would be hideous. And so when parents go out and put their children out in the media, they're attracting these comments. Yeah, you can protect you, for your, you know? from your own thread, but exactly. there's going to be threads that exist from subreddits, sub, yep. subedits. Exactly. I ended up on Reddit and that was pretty shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, there are comments online and there are comments that are said to people's faces. Now, I was driving... Uh, my car one day and I was on ABC radio. I actually tuned in because Carly was going to be on and it was an interview that she was doing on ABC and I almost pulled my car over and went in there and punched on because of the way that you were treated in an interview um, when you went in there. Obviously that person was is now not there anymore. You can name him if you want. Um, I don't ever say his name. It gives him power. It does give him power. That's why I haven't done it. I don't want to admit <laughs> The way that people speak to you about your mm. disability because it is confronting to them mm. makes me sad and angry at the mm. same time. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, if you're comfortable talking yeah, about yeah. the comments that he said, yeah, yeah. how that makes you feel and just the comments yeah. that you face sometimes? Yeah, I feel like with a visible disability, your your appearance, your body often isn't your own. So people, you know, like you'll, you'll get lots of people coming up to you and either telling you what they think or telling you of a cure or telling, asking you a question. Yeah, pray. Yeah, pray. <laughs> so I, I was a regular on the ABC and um, somebody who was a regular with this radio host saw me at the Wheeler Centre and I was a bit nervous. I had this media drinks the night before and I had a few drinks and I remember say, seeing his former producer there and, and he said, oh, he'll be right, he'll just tell you you're a snowflake or something. I'm like, oh, God. Anyway, I'm a bit nervous. So I went in to do the interview and he had a sit-stand desk mm. and I didn't want to stand for, uh, for half an hour because I'd be too sore standing for half an hour. And so he met me briefly and shook my hand and said, um, hi, I've never met you before. And I thought that's odd. like, no, we hadn't met, but it was odd that he didn't know who I was because I was a regular at the ABC. I don't, you can't ask that. I write for the age. So then um, I think he was a bit annoyed that I asked for, for us to sit down 
He's like, oh, you know, who asked for this? And I said, I did. And then um, he said to me that my face would, uh, he explained my face, how I looked like a Burns victim. And then he said. Now, is this on air? Or on, air? on air. It was all live. Okay. All live. And he said um, that, oh, your face wouldn't be good at Halloween. Like uh, suggesting that it would be like an annoying mask to have. Yeah, or, or you wouldn't would have mis- to dress up. Yeah, or, or people would mistake you as a, for me as a dress up or whatever, which is true, which is some, sometimes what happens not to me but generally. And I've written about that. I've written about how scary face at Halloween perpetuates the idea that mm. those of us with facial differences are scary. Um, so I kind of laughed it off. And then he said to me, what's the most um, what's the most offensive question you've ever been asked? And I said, can you have sex? And he goes, well, can you? And I kind of just laughed it off like, huh, what? What just Surely happened. not serious. Yeah, and because it was live, you just don't know. And being a woman in the media, not not even being paid to be at the ABC as well. So this was, you know, a guest spot. Um, I did not know if I could make a scene. Imagine if I'd made a scene and stormed out and then I, my radio career, which wasn't even paid, would be over. So the interview went on and a few people rang in to say how surprised they were. That One lady called up. Yeah. Uh, he also said that you look would be scary for children. And I was yeah. like, who's this guy? <laughs> this is all back-to-back us. And then this one lady called up, oh, I've got a comment for Carly. I just want to say your questions are inappropriate. How dare you speak to her? Like, this is live. Yeah, First great. caller. And I was like, thank yeah. God. Yeah. And then yeah. he tried to backtrack. But, I mean, credit to you for being stoic in that situation. The way you ha- I would have – if I was going to interview like that, I would have been like, I'm out of here. It yeah. was really, really weird. And got to work and I was not – on my phone much in the day, but I could see all the notifications popping up. And then my boss came up to me and asked if I was all right. And then I got the interview, the audio, and I uploaded it to my blog when I got home. And I just wrote a really brief thing, like I'm still processing. It was really inappropriate. And then that night I was trending on Twitter. And one thing I had found was this was the first time that I'd seen where people got the ableism, that they understood it, that they recognised it, that they realised that it was inappropriate for that media commentator to ask. Uh, he apologised and it was the first time in 21 years that he'd apologised on air, kind of an apology. Uh, he said something like things don't go as planned or something. I said on the project I'm happy to talk to him and he's never taken me up on that offer, but I never got invited back as a regular on the ABC again. It's a but um, hey, on ABC good Melbourne. on you for standing up for yourself. And, and the way you handled it was great. Another event. Yeah. Uh, 2012 and 2013, you had a bunch of encounters with taxi mm. drivers. Now, this is, once again, publicised. You've written about it. Yeah. It's everywhere. But for people who are just coming in and finding out a bit, a bit more about you, can you talk about what happened, the incident itself, but also what you managed was a Human Rights Commission, right? Mm. I, don't know that, I, I'm, I don't know this one. There you go. I I'm, don't know. I'm fresh ears. Uh, yeah. Well, I in 2013, I had a number of incidents with taxi drivers and nothing Nothing really major until, well, two incidents, like I I went out one night and someone said I was drunk and then he was really apprehensive about letting me in the car because I guess you associate red red faces with drunk people. Oh, Um, Oh, I didn't. That's a long bow. Yeah, I I didn't pick up on that either. Yeah, Yeah, but the next bit. I'm not like, look at his face, or her face, Mm. they're wasted. No way. But the the next bit's more of a long bow, I reckon. And and there were a couple of things that happened that were just, you know, inconvenient. And then um, I was at a conference, speaking at a conference, and my friend, said to me that the person running the conference said, I need to get you a cab charge voucher. I said, oh, no, it's fine. I'll just get the train. And uh, it's about 9 o'clock at night and she's like, no, nah, you'll be safer getting a cab. So anyway, so the hotel called me a cab, which was good because ordinarily I wouldn't have taken note of the number. Now I do. And so she got me, they got me a cab and I got in the car and he goes, what's on your face? And I said, nothing. 
it's my face, you know. That There's nothing on your face, yeah. it's your face, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't need to know, you know. He's, yeah. he's offering me, he's providing me a service that I was going to pay for and he's like, you smell, get out of my car, like you're, you're going to make my seats dirty. Like as if I'm going to rub his my face on his car. Like, it's tough to hear. Who is Sorry, sat, Carly, yeah. I know, like who, who, who sits in the car upside down with their face on yeah. the seat, right? Who does that? Anyway, um, so I got out the car and I got another car, but the, because the, um, hotel called, they could track the number. And so I wrote about it and it went viral and there was no accountability for him. He just quit. Like there's no kind of punishment for him. Like a cab driver works for the company, but he can go work for any other company. And so don't know who he was, but I made a complaint and made a complaint to the cab company. And they were really great. It's one, three cabs. So I know you've done some work before. And so then as a result of that, um, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, um, I want there to be training to say that disability looks different for everybody. Like it's not just people in wheelchairs or people with guide dogs. It's a lot of a big spectrum. It's, yeah, of course. And, and we all have places to go. So anyway, um, I asked for that resolution rather in my complaint. And then they said, oh, no, we, we're not going to do that. There needs to be someone else that complains and then we might do it. I'm like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That Like why can't it stop prevent at my it, complaint? Prevent it from the next you know? person, yeah. Yeah, prevent it. Uh, <laughs> and then I ended up just at the time Graham Innes was um, – the Dis- Disability Discrimination Commissioner, and I texted him and I said, hey, I need to make a complaint to the Human Rights Commission. They are wanting me to hold off on my complaint because they want another com- another incidence of discrimination to happen. This isn't right. So I put in a complaint and, you know, and, and said that not only did this one where my face would ruin their car happen, but the two others in that year. And so we had mediation and then we made that video and then now there's a video. So sometimes when I get into taxis, they're like, I've seen you somewhere on the training <laughs> video. Um, but it still happens. But again, you know, how it's only one person changing yeah, the system, sure. you know. There's such an emphasis on on appearance, I guess, mm. and, and people judge you straight away by your appearance. You know, I've had mm. problems with that as well, being in a wheelchair. And I think there's pressure, especially on young females, disability or not. Mm-hmm. To, to really worry about their appearance. What would your advice be? I know we have a good listenership of, of, of young females mm. coming up in the world who mm. aren't comfortable with who they are, mm. how they look. What would your advice be to them about how you found, you know. Yeah, good question. I stopped reading the magazines that didn't feature people like me. Mm. And if I did, if I if I saw any ads about flaky scalps or whatever, they always talked about how awful it is to have a flaky scalp and mm. you're undesirable. Yeah. And, and that's the same if you're a size 12 and not a size 8 and in the magazine you've got to be a size 4 mm-hmm. or your hair or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yep. And so I found another thing is like find people like you on Instagram. That's a really easy way to, you know, Instagram has made it really easy to connect with different people. Um, so find people like you, find people that aren't like you as well. You know, I don't, I don't know more than maybe three influencers. I don't know who they are. Also, uh, it's really easy to change your face now. Like before you could either be airbrushed in a magazine or pay a lot of money to have cosmetic surgery, Mm -hmm. but now you can just get cosmetic surgery in your lunch break, or you can use an app on your phone to change your face. And I really worry people don't know their real face anymore because they're constantly putting up this weird filter. And also with kids, kids are being filtered. Yeah. And mm. I just really worry. I don't think you I don't think you would and you don't need to, but mm. is there a desire for people with your disability now with advances in technology to get cosmetic surgery or something? Yeah, I think like there are people that maybe want to change. Like, I mean, people can wear wigs because not, not a lot of people 
um, with ichthyosis have a lot of hair. Mm. Like for me, this is the longest my hair's ever been, which is looks amazing. good by that. You know, oh. I was looking at your hair before going. Yeah. It is longer. It is. It's like down here now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's actually so funny. Uh, I was looking at it before going. Your hair's quite it's long. It's really looks cause good because it, one of the symptoms that I have is that hair breaks off. But I'm doing less shampoo and more conditioner. Good, and it's very good. Uh, Shampoo's it, overrated, yeah. But I think with the like, I met someone on on the internet a few months ago with ichthyosis somewhere else. I don't know where she was. I found it really sad because she said something like. Oh, I found this app that makes us look normal. Um, and yeah. I'm just like, wow, that's really sad. Just be yourself, you know. I really hope that by me and other people putting our real faces online, we can show that it's okay for other you know, people it is. too. And you've done that. Yeah. yeah. And Adam was saying how he is such a um, despondent Instagram husband now. Mm. And he took a photo of me a few months ago where the light was just so weird that my face didn't look red enough. And so it looked like I had an app on me, a oh. filter on me, and so I had to use a filter to make myself redder so people would Get the know. saturation up. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. people would know that it's really me. I have a I, quick question for you before we get to a bowl of uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, my quick question yeah. for you is, mm-hmm. are there fabrics for your skin that you wear that are better? Good question. I wear lots of layers and I do that because... I thought I, you were going to say latex. No, I'm, like, a, whoa, I'm allergic whoa, okay. to latex. Well, I'm allergic yeah, to latex. Like, hey, oh. Interesting, okay. I, yeah, and um, I'm allergic to latex, but I don't wear latex. <laughs> I wear lots of layers and I wear uh, I wear lots of like natural fibres. So, I can't imagine wool's good for your well, skin. Well, I am wearing wool right okay. now underneath. See, I would have thought. It so would have been this scratchy is merino wool. Merino is great because it's like um, high quality. Classy yeah, wool. Good really. Wool. So all, I like, and I get cold and hot, but I'm mostly cold. And so for you on a hot day, you'll be able to sweat and get. Um, for most people, they'll be able to sweat and get cooler. Mm-hmm. I don't have sweat glands that work, so I can't cool down. I didn't know that. And so I constantly cover up because I don't want to get sunburned. I don't want to bump myself. I don't want to get mm-hmm. hurt by people bumping in. You know, sometimes on the train when I'm standing, people will carry shopping bags with points, you know, like pointy corners, and they hurt me just by bumping oh, in. Oh, oh. So I always, yeah, wear layers. Um, I like fabrics that breathe but I also like um like I like fun fun stuff and I sometimes test do a little fabric test in store I better not say this no I probably will I do a bit of fabric <laughs> test in store because if my Vaseline paraffin makes things oily then it looks like I wet myself or something you know yeah. get big blotches so sometimes I go in and Put yeah. my hand under the hem and Good see, how, see, how see, see how it goes. I was wondering why um, there was some on my, t- on my camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying on some. Of, <laughs> yeah. Dylan stuff. Um, I bought this ridiculous jacket that has um, all like tinsel all over it and I wore it for one of our yeah. events at Fringe opening and because tinsel's like plastic, it really hurt my skin because it doesn't breathe. It's a one-time wear, that one. One-time wear. It's great, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. All of uncomfortable Good questions, time. though. Thank you. This, yeah. is, uh, this is a question that we've been sent in okay. DMs. Oh, We're not going to ask you the uncomfortable question around sex, but we would like to know, well, mm-hmm. this person would like to know, and mm-hmm. maybe our listeners, and maybe you'd like to share the story. Yeah. Around touch. Oh, yeah. Because touch is such an emotional mm. thing. It doesn't have to be the physical, but with your partner, yeah. how important or limitations are there when it comes to yeah, your skin and touch? that's a great question. Um, when I was we younger. Smart, sorry, we have smart listeners. That's great listeners. Yeah, great. And also very empathetic yeah. listeners. Yeah, the wording was amazing by this person, Mitch. I, um, I have written about skin hunger, and when I was younger, I felt like, well, my touch was like medical touch, you know, like from my mum, she put my cream on, and it was loving, but she was still applying my cream. Yeah. My I God. love that term. I would have have had no, like, medical touch as well, I guess. You know what I mean? Medical touch, yeah. When you're in hospital, Mm. like, people touch Mm. you, but it's, like, procedures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But when I was younger, my my grandparents particularly were very distant and they 
wouldn't let me touch things and they wouldn't let me touch things in their house because I'd get it oily or they wouldn't let me hug them and that. And that, that was really hard and that brought on a lot of shame and I felt like when I, I wouldn't then invite touch because I was scared about getting things, people oily, leaving my skin behind. And so I missed that touch, you know, because I went with so long without a partner and then, um, yeah, just lots of medical touch and also having to watch out people – People are scared to hug me because they think they'd hurt me, and generally that's not the case. I didn't um, hug you because of the coronavirus. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, and I reckon now there's going to be a lot of skin hunger because people yeah. don't get a hug for many days. Um, but touch can be so sensitive yeah, as well. I mean, me, light yeah. touch for me, yeah. I mean, that's what really kind of triggers, I, I guess, a romantic thing for me and my partner is a light touch. Did your nipples just get hot over there, Angus? Okay. That's not <laughs> too hot. But it can um, be, right? Yeah, I felt, and then I was always remembering that last time I'd been intimately touched. Um, but now I feel guilty sometimes, like when Adam and I in bed and he touches me, and I'm like, no, go away. And I'm like, but all those, all those <laughs> times that I'd wanted to be touched, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Very pick and choosy. Hi. Yeah. Great question. Hey, yeah, Carly. Question. Yes. You're the bloody ledge. We Thank really you. appreciate you coming on and sharing that story. That was really fun. You know what? I could tell you enjoy that, enjoy the smile on your face. And yeah. I think you, we can tell that Thank we you. did and I know our listeners did. Uh, you know, I probably shouldn't say this because I'll never get a speaking gig ever again, but can you give us the plug on how people can get in touch with you? Because uh, you <laughs> I, need, are, I need a speaking gig. You've got a tennis career. No, I no, can't no. play sport. Uh, yeah, well, hang on. <laughs> At the moment, I don't have a tennis career. It's all cancelled. So. Do you know what? I was talking with my friend about, about career options. I'm like, maybe I'll become a cam girl. Cam girl? <laughs> hey, you didn't bulk cash. $2.99 right? for 15 yeah. minutes A bit Snapchat. more than that. So if people want to... $299. <laughs> no. If That's people want to book you as a cam girl, how do they get in touch with you? Get in the DMs no. at Carly Finley. No, 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 no. I'm not going to be. Uh, maybe I'll just read my book. That that okay. will be my kind of cam girl. But I, I strongly um, recommend say hello as a read. Yeah, you can get in touch. You can at, get in touch at carlyfinlay.com.au. Yeah. And I, I can do Zoom cam girl yeah, things. Sure. I just know I can do sensible. Hey, I can do hey, sensible hey, speech. You can do Carly, stuff remotely. I'm a, I'm a Zoom girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could do that. Uh, I could do uh, training around disability cool. and I speak and write and I can write for you. I can read my book for you at bedtime. If you like to, <laughs> I mean, nice. so Adam isn't very, uh, isn't a very good, uh, very interested reader or not your partner. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he's, oh, he's, he's up to the, he's up to the chapter about the skin hunger, the, um, but he hasn't read it yet. The book, the book has been out for my, a year and a bit. A year, and yeah. really my partner Chantelle won't read my book right. because she gets a personal version every day. <laughs> well, that's a nice thing. It's nice. nice, isn't it? Um, I said that I'd give you my audio book, but he's like, no. Nah. He's had enough of your voice. <laughs> he's had enough of my voice. Well, thank you um, so much for coming you. in. Thank you. That we, was fun. We appreciate it. Um, you're an amazing guest and hopefully <laughs> people learn a lot more about Carla <gasps> Finlay. I hope that I'm not going to be a cam girl. What a story. Yeah, and, and just a really cool down-to-earth person who is comfortable with who she is, but the way that she puts her, herself out, not only for her like, individual community around her disability, but for the whole, and is a really strong voice for people with a disability, as we heard throughout that. So uh, please share this around because I think it's a great message to get out there and I'm a bit worried that she's going to, you know, create a podcast about disability. We'll be out of business. Oh, so. God. Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, thank you once again to Carly, especially in the current coronavirus climate, to come in. We appreciate it so much. And I think the great thing is we're, this is obviously going to be released. I mean, people could be listening to this podcast in years and the coronavirus is a distant memory. But for people who are listening right now with the disability, I think some of these stories are so important to hear. And that's why we're here in a time when we probably shouldn't be disinfecting studios to make sure people are comfortable um, and we can't thank her enough. Yeah, but- and this is obviously an audio medium, but if you know anyone who's deaf or has problems with hearing, 
Check us out on YouTube. Oh, check out our outfit. Carly's Carly outfit. Carly looks great. Woo! And also, we're wearing matching T-shirts. Yeah, we do. We bought merch. We've yeah. got Listen Able merch. So go so check it out online we're, on We're YouTube. thinking about making some that, that you can buy as well. So we'll be... Oh. I just made that up then. But you did. Or you can win. Look, these T-shirts are sick. I don't really yeah, we could put the proceeds towards the Dylan Orcoff Foundation. Yes, yes. We'll work towards I think we need a few more episodes in the can. Coming up on the next episode of Listen Able, sexologist Chantel Odden, who just happens to be Dylan Orcoff's girlfriend. People with uh, disabilities often have really erotic minds, so they have really big imaginations. And for me, it's being that person that they can talk to about that eroticism, about their fantasies, but also maybe helping them find someone that could be part of that fantasy for them as well. And that means working with really well-educated sex workers as well and making sure that my patient is safe and that they feel comfortable with the people that they're with. Until then, thank you so much for liking, rating, subscribing. Please share with your friends. Like we said, all of that helps the algorithm to make this more accessible to every single person. Yeah, keep the beautiful comments coming. We see them. We appreciate We appreciate every one of them. Every single one of you for listening to this. Hopefully we are helping a lot of people. Uh, and that's been Listenable. Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.